Welcome to the More Attention, Less Deficit podcast. This episode is ADHD is real, but how real? Everyone has their distracted moments, but folks with ADHD have many more of them. But because this is just more of a normal human tendency, does that make the condition less real? The book, More Attention, Less Deficit, Success Strategies for Adults with ADHD, is available at addwarehouse.com and pretty much everywhere else, including on the Kindle. But if you enter coupon code 19380, my zip code, at addwarehouse.com, you'll save 25%. Cool. I'm psychologist Dr. Ari Tuckman, author of More Attention, Less Deficit and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD practical, easy-to-use guide for clinicians. For more information about either book, archives of this podcast, links to past presentations, handouts, and information about upcoming teleclasses and presentations, check out adultadhdbook.com. I'd also like to take a moment here just to say that we've actually broken 100,000 downloads total. This is episode 65, so a lot of people out there listening, which I think is great. Very much appreciate it. Hope you find it useful. And if you do, then, you know, obviously spread the word to other people who you think might find it useful. So here we go. More than most medical conditions, ADHD seems to get more than its fair share of skepticism. As in, is it a real condition? Does it need to be treated? Does it really deserve any special accommodations? Etc. Etc. Now, the skeptics cite the fact that no one supposedly had ADHD before, and now supposedly almost everyone has it. Obviously, that's an overstatement. But, you know, in other words, what they're saying is that no one was diagnosed with ADHD when they were a kid, so therefore it must be made up now. Of course, if you can remember your childhood of untreated ADHD, you know that this didn't just start in the last decade or so. The fact that we didn't have a good name for it doesn't mean that it didn't exist. I mean, it's not like people didn't die of heart attacks before we could accurately identify what was going on there. We just called it something different, but the end result is the same. The person dies if it isn't appropriately treated. Some skeptics will also cite the fact that there's currently no objective test that can definitively diagnose ADHD. Therefore, they say, it must be purely subjective, or basically made up, as if clinicians sit around and flip a coin to decide whether someone has ADHD or not, or you know, if researchers can't find any other worthy topics of study, as if there aren't thousands of other areas that they could be looking into. Now, of course, physical medicine has a lot of subjectivity, too. You know, even if tests are ordered that generate all sorts of very specific numbers, in many cases, a doctor still needs to use some subjectivity to decide what those tests mean, especially when the tests aren't definitive or contradict each other. Probably the biggest criticism comes from the fact that Everyone has moments when they display ADHD symptoms, at least to some small degree. For example, everyone is distracted sometimes. The critics then assume that it's just exaggeration to call this a disorder. But that's like saying that everyone gets hot sometimes, so we shouldn't treat anyone who has a 103 degree fever. Now, of course, a spike from 98.6 to 103 leads to a whole lot of bad stuff. So even four little degrees is enough to make a big difference, and therefore worthy of intervention. This is how it works with ADHD. 
being occasionally forgetful is just one of those sort of unfortunate annoyances that we all have to deal with. But the people who are really forgetful lose jobs for it and friendships and maybe even marriages. That's the tangible consequence of relatively small differences in the various symptoms associated with ADHD and other conditions. It's not like people with ADHD can never remember anything. They can, just not as reliably as they and perhaps anyone else would want. This then brings up the much bigger question of how disorders are defined. What makes something a disorder rather than simply something notable? For example, being really forgetful counts towards the diagnosis of ADHD, whereas being a little forgetful is pretty unremarkable, since everybody does that sometimes. So because these abilities occur on a spectrum, there are some people at one end of the spectrum who rarely forget things, and there are some people at the other end of the spectrum who forget things a lot. Most people fall somewhere around the middle in a giant bell curve. This is different from some conditions, like pregnancy, where you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Or like schizophrenia, where you either hear voices or you don't hear voices. Because people who hear voices are so clearly different from most folks, it's easier to say that this is a distinct condition. There's no cutoff here. You either hear voices or you don't. That's it. Whereas with something like ADHD, the question often comes up about how distracted or impulsive or whatever someone needs to be in order for that person to be diagnosed with ADHD. In the bigger picture, it brings up the question of whether ADHD is a valid disorder or merely a label for the folks at one end of the bell curve on these various abilities. Hopefully I won't get too philosophical here um, as we, you know, sort of wrestle with this question and hopefully I won't lose everyone. So, you know, hang in there and, and let's see where this goes. This is an important question for more than just academic reasons. This cuts to the heart of the question of whether ADHD deserves to be treated or given special accommodations. So I'd say that's pretty important. On a personal level, it may also cut to the heart of your own feelings of legitimacy and how you explain your struggles with attention, impulsivity, disorganization, etc., especially before you were diagnosed. There are lots of mental and medical conditions that occur in a spectrum the way that ADHD does. Anxiety, depression, substance abuse, high blood pressure, hypoglycemia, etc. The list goes on. The people who create the various diagnostic manuals review all the research that's been done and decide where to put the cutoff. One thing they need to consider is the suffering or damage that's caused at various levels. For example, everyone has times when they feel down, but I don't think we should put Prozac in the water supply. One of the things that happens as we learn about various conditions is that we discover that damage can be caused at milder levels of a condition than we had realized before. It might be subtle, but it doesn't mean it's not there. For example, the cutoff for high blood pressure has steadily crept downward over the years as we realize the damage that even moderately high blood pressure can cause. 
Obviously, the cynics will remind us certain drug companies have benefited quite handsomely from this trend. And although I certainly don't support unscrupulous marketing, I do support good science telling us things that we didn't know before. In other words, informing our decisions so we can make good choices. When it comes to ADHD, the research has clearly shown that those with ADHD, especially when left untreated, suffer for it across all aspects of their lives. Now, to some degree, I do agree with the critics in that we need to use some discretion in how we assign a diagnosis. There's a balance to be struck here. If you set the bar too high, then almost no one will have enough symptoms or impairments to qualify for the diagnosis, and therefore lots of people won't get treated and thereby experience a better quality of life. So that's a loss for them. On the other hand, if you set the bar too low, then lots of people who have really pretty normal levels of symptoms without too much impairment or suffering will also qualify for the diagnosis. This watering down of the diagnosis is a disservice to those who are really suffering and undermines the legitimacy of the condition. It also wastes treatment dollars that could probably be better spent. I agree with the folks who say that the cutoff for ADHD should be the top 5% or so. So that means that 1 in 20 people will qualify for a diagnosis of ADHD. To me, that sounds like, I don't know, pretty good balance where we're giving help to those who truly need it, but not giving prescriptions to everyone who fails a Cosmo quiz. This is important not just for the individual, but also for society since there are societal costs to untreated ADHD in terms of educational performance, work history, and family stability, just to mention a few. So everyone benefits if we make smart choices about these sorts of things, even though they can feel pretty fuzzy sometimes. So if you are doing something about your ADHD, good, because your life is probably better if you do. Now, as a final announcement here, if you're a clinician who's interested in getting some continuing education credits while learning about treating adults with ADHD, which I think is always an important thing, and adults with ADHD are often an underserved population who cannot find clinicians in their area who can be helpful to them, or if you're not a clinician, but you've read a bunch of stuff about ADHD and you want to learn more and maybe want to, you know, educate the clinician you are seeing, um, you got a couple options. I did a 90-minute webinar as well as a six-hour presentation for a company called PESI, P-E-S-I. You can access the recordings in a number of formats from streaming it online to downloading MP3s to like old school ordering CDs to be sent to you. Um, I've included the links on the recording page at adultadhdbook.com, or alternatively, you can go directly to pesi.com and search for Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD. I hope that you find them useful. Until next time, thanks for lending me your attention.